being a child of Asian immigrants, for us, it's called Korean guilt. It's just pervasive through the culture. If you're not contributing or doing something, there is a feeling of guilt because it's like, then what are you doing? That's Joanne Lee Wagner, the VP of People Ops at Common Future. And like a lot of you, she used to feel pretty guilty for taking breaks, for resting. Until her organization decided to experiment with a new way of working, the four-day work week. And in the process, Joanne had to do more than change her calendar. She had to rethink how she thought about work itself. Before this experiment, my ideas around work were very productivity-driven. It was very much that an organization's leadership needs to be almost like a watchdog of like making sure people are doing their work. Moving into the four-day work week for me personally, it's just letting go. So today on Strong Feelings, we're going to hear all about what Common Future did to test out the four-day week, what they learned in the process, and how it changed Joanne forever. I've been deprogrammed. I know who I am. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Sarah Walker betcher And like I said, today's show is about one person and one organization's experience trying out a four-day week. But before we get back to Joanne's story, I want to talk a little bit about this trend. Because if you read the results from the survey we released back in March, a lot of you are really, really interested in this whole four-day week idea. Like, Almost one out of 10 people in our survey mentioned it unprompted, and they frequently told us that they were so interested in a four-day week that they were willing to make other trade-offs to get it, like taking a lower salary or foregoing career advancement. And it's not just people in our survey. In January of this year, a Qualtrics survey of 1,021 people found that 92% of them support a four-day week and think having one would improve their mental health and productivity. And according to a nonprofit called Four Day Week Global, which is affiliated with the University of Oxford, they're right. In their research, 78% of people with four day work weeks are happier and less stressed. And so they're trying to get more organizations to test a four day week to just give it a shot and see how it goes. They're running this pilot program right now where they first offer training and workshops to figure out how to make workdays more efficient and how to roll out the plan. And then for six months, from this April through September, the companies in the program test it out and they see what happens. Their goal is what they call a 180-100 model, meaning workers keep 100% of their pay, work 80% as much time, and they hope, see if they can still get 100% of the results they had before the experiment. There are thousands of people at a bunch of different companies, including like Kickstarter, involved in the pilot right now. So yeah, the four-day work week is definitely having a moment. And it's actually something I've been trying myself at Active Voice. And I'll be honest, I do not have it all figured out. Emily, my only staff member, has a four-day week. We started her role that way when she moved from contract to staff back in January, and it works pretty well, I think. Occasionally, she shifts her hours around, but it doesn't feel like work is spilling out all over the place. At least not for her. For me, it's a little bit messier. I've found it pretty easy to say no to booking coaching sessions or workshops for companies or meetings on Fridays, but I do find myself working on things like writing my newsletter or recording this podcast. And maybe that's okay. This is a little bit more of a passion project, but 
I also know that I still struggle to turn off work and I sometimes find myself stuck between what feel like conflicting goals. One is to be less work focused and to rest more and to chill more, not very chill. And the other is to make sure that this business I've built is able to grow just a bit and to get more sustainable. And so all of that to say, I am so interested in hearing from folks who've come out the other side of this process and learning the things that they've learned. What needs to change in our organizations and what needs to change in ourselves to make the four day week possible? And so that's how we found Common Future, where Joanne works. We are a 30 person nonprofit organization that functions like a think and do tank that is really about addressing the racial wealth gap. We work with local leaders, funders, investors, and policymakers to build economically empowered communities through entrepreneurship and economic development. What's that mean? Okay, so Common Futures perspective is that, quote, capitalism is broken. Too many people have been left out. Their vision is an economy that works for all and extracts from none. Oof. So what they focus on is essentially shifting capital, money, from wealth holders like foundations and investors interested in social impact to organizations run by people who've been historically excluded from wealth. They're like an intermediary. Those foundations and investors work with Common Future to figure out where their capital should go so that it actually shifts power dynamics and builds equity. So Common Future started way back in 2001, but they used to have a much wordier, more nonprofity name. And in 2019, they realized it was time for a rebrand. And maybe more than that, a time to rethink how they wanted to function as an organization. That was really to reflect how we had evolved as an organization and really come into our own as a Black-led majority BIPOC group. With the rebrand to Common Future, it became about developing a different kind of nonprofit where we're placing much more value on what are the big ideas? How are we resourcing them? And then from there, developing those experiments and prototypes to enable the work to happen. There are just particular things that are necessary to be able to work in this way, right? You need to have a bit more spaciousness to allow for that creativity. You need to be able to look at a broad swath of information coming from different sectors and then really do that pattern matching. And so I think even back then, we were already thinking, how do we shift our mindset from being productivity oriented to more about what are the patterns that we're seeing? So that was the goal, not just a rebrand, but breaking out of productivity culture and looking at new ways of thinking about work instead. And so I asked Joanne how that goal shapes her own role at Common Future. And what she told me is that it's, well, it's a bit different than what most HR people would say. When we think of the people function at Common Future, it is really about how are we dismantling white supremacy culture? How are we enabling and empowering our employees to make the highest, best impact in the roles that they play. And and then it's really about creating a workplace that lives into our values of equity and wellness. Okay. So there Joanne is working with Common Future through this rebrand, through this update to the mission and the vision of the organization. And then the pandemic happened. And I think at that time, I think a quarter of us identified as working moms. 
So there were all of the things happening with school closures and like just the impacts to our time and ability to do the work. There was the isolation that was happening among people and the mental health challenges were so pressing. And so it really became even more important for us as a leadership team and us as an organization to really lean into this idea of essentialism. We use the big rocks analogy. If you don't put the big rocks into the jar first and you start with the sand or the pebbles, you're not going to get the big rocks in there. And so for us, it's this idea of how can we focus on the things that are going to make the most impact and go from there. Part of it was the pandemic, sure, but it wasn't just the pandemic that made Common Future decide it was time to change. If you're familiar with white supremacy culture in the workplace, urgency and this idea that everything is important all the time is one of the ways that it manifests and is pervasive. So for us as an organization, by focusing in on what is most important and by doing that prioritization, it was almost like rebelling against this idea that all things are important all the time, because in reality, it's not, right? In reality, it's because you as a leader have, you know, taken on too much and haven't done a good job of doing that planning. So that's when Common Future started talking seriously about the four-day week. And pretty soon, talk turned to action. There was another nonprofit organization in our field called Uncharted who had done the four-day workweek experiment the year prior. And so our leadership team was looking at it and really began to see a lot of similarities in the ways that they were approaching their work around essentialism, around prioritization, around the flexibility and empowerment of teams and how it could be done. And so we looked at that experiment along with the other experiments that were happening. And at a certain point, it just made sense. You know, it didn't make sense for us not to try this. And I think that there was so much support in being an organization that has a culture of experimentation, of innovation. It really fit in with the way that we work to try this out. It just didn't make sense not to try. I love that. So for the next three months, Joanne and her team got to work looking at how to make the four-day week possible. We did a lot of research on like, what is there? And then we began to do focus groups with our own employees to just really try to figure out what are some of the barriers for you going to be? Where do you feel like you might get stuck in this experiment? What type of training is needed? We flipped that into a few different training sessions where we talked about the core concepts that we thought were going to be needed, such as meeting efficiency, such as interrogating power dynamics, even when your funder is saying like, hey, I want to consistently meet with you on Fridays. How do we have a set of talking points developed already to explain and educate why this experiment matters and why we're undertaking it and kind of bring folks along with that? And so I think the prep work really enabled us to then flow into the experiment itself. I would say a part of the prep was also data collection because we wanted to see how things changed before and after. And so that was a time tracking study as well as a survey that looked at productivity, impact, work-life balance, and health outcomes. Okay, so they did all this prep. They worked out the kinks. 
They trained people. And then, then it was time to actually launch. So we launched the experiment in June, 2020. And the way that the week fell, it, June 1st actually landed that week of Memorial Day. So it actually ended up being a three-day work week for us that first week. And to your listeners, I would not recommend starting your four-day work week experiment on a three-day week. And starting on an extra short week, it wasn't the only bump in the road. At first, it really felt like, okay, we need to cram all this work into four days now. And like things didn't really shift, although we had reduced the amount of meetings from, I think our default was like hour long meetings. And then we went into default 30 minute meetings. And I think it took a couple of weeks for us as an organization to really settle into the new norms and practices that we wanted to do and that we had a hunch would help us in this experiment. But I do remember it was just this palpable feeling of going from like a, oh my gosh, I'm now working so hard in these four days. And then Friday comes and it's like this big sigh of relief, like, ah, we're finally here. I know that feeling. I've been getting it myself as I try to do a four day week. In fact, I'm working on this episode on a Thursday afternoon and every Thursday at 4.45, I have a German conversation session. So that basically forces me to close out of work mode so I can turn on my Deutsch brain. And that means on Thursdays around 4.30, I hit that same point of just like, whoosh, whew, it's done. I made it. But see, it wasn't just that feeling of cramming stuff in, a feeling like the weeks flew by that was hard for common future. It was also something deeper. Being a majority BIPOC organization, we often talk about how there is an expectation around needing to be the best, right? Or needing to be better than everyone else in order to just uh, level the playing field that we enter. And so it had to be an unlearning organizationally of saying, yes, but the best does not always look like working incessantly or on multiple projects at the same time. The best can be really about doing more of the deep thinking of doing the pattern matching because you have a set of data that is available to you in our organization's unique purview, sitting at the intersection of many parts of the ecosystem of economic justice. Actually, what the best looks like here in this organization is taking a moment to reflect and then coming up with those partnerships and alongside the partnerships with our community, really working to, yeah, create impact in that way and redistribute wealth in that way. Okay, so there was this deep sense at the organizational level that they needed to think differently about work. But for Joanne, it was also really personal. As a daughter of immigrants, I saw both my grandparents and then my parents working 12-hour days, my mom always makes this comment of how um, she wasn't able to raise me because she was working all the time at the store. And for us, the store was a dry cleaners. I've always really admired my family and my ancestors for that hard work and that sacrifice that uh, it took to enable my generation, cousins, my sister, to be able to get an education, to be able to live a American lifestyle with the privileges that that affords. And yet 
It's funny because when I was reflecting on the four day work week and kind of the mindset shift that was necessary and even reflecting on my own perceptions of work and how that had been modeled to me, I realized, wow, I am still in this mindset where my husband calls it the doing the most disease where, you know, I need to be doing the most, right? Like my projects need to be stacked on top of each other for me to feel successful or that I am utilizing this life, living up to the expectations that my ancestors and that my um, parents have set out for me. And I just realized how skewed that was. If I think of my grandmother who was an entrepreneur in San Francisco in Fisherman's Wharf, selling her candles and working so hard to make a living for her family. And like the health challenges that came after that, I think about how she wouldn't want me to be in a place of such constant stress and hardship where I'm working myself to the bone just to live now, I think that she would really have wanted something else for me. And so it took a moment of reflection to really think about, you know, where is that coming from in order to be able to even come into work in a four day work week context, because at the end of the day, we are really challenging the assumptions around work that we as organizations carry, but also we as individuals. So I asked Joanne, if success is no longer about having projects stacked on projects, if doing the most isn't the goal, then what does success look like now? How do you orient yourself? So it's really funny. My colleagues have a nickname for me at work. So my name is Joanne and they call me Joy Ann. One of my values is around joy. And it's about living joyfully, however that manifests for you and whatever that means for you. For me, I noticed that when I'm not constantly thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next, and like planning the five different things that I need to do and schedule and make a list around in order to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish that it allows me to be present in a way. And I think that's when the beautiful things come. That's when you have space to just savor this life that you're living in, to appreciate the small moments. So I have a six-year-old daughter who just started kindergarten. And this was also true for the other working mothers that went through the four-day work week experiment. Now it allows for a bit of spaciousness to really tap into the things that matter to you, whatever they may be. I'm wondering if you ever feel like, I don't know, guilty or you have that stuff come up around like, oh, I should be doing more or like this extra free time. I should fill it in a certain way that is keeping me productive. Yeah. Did you have to work through any of that kind of stuff? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about that. So what brought up those guilt feelings for you and like, what do you do with that? Yeah. Yeah. Being a child of Asian immigrants, for us, it's called Korean guilt. And so it's just pervasive through the culture. It's something that sits with you if you're not contributing or doing something. Yeah, there is a feeling of guilt because it's like, then what are you doing? Are you being lazy? And it's all of these assumptions or attacks on your character almost that because of the way that the societal or or cultural expectations are set up, that just exists. So I think first and foremost, it's about recognizing what that is and just being hyper 
aware of like, okay, what is my experience? How did I grow up? What does my culture tell me? What is society telling me? And just becoming a bit more aware. It's almost like the matrix with the red pill, you know, blue pill analogy. If you're living life kind of heads down, then there's no way that you can break the cycles and the patterns that are not healthy for you as an individual for you as an organization. And so I think awareness is key. The second part around that is about challenging, again, those assumptions. Like who said that work had to be done in a 40 hour work week, right? That assumption was birthed during industrial times, which at least for my organization as knowledge workers, is just not the case. And who says that everything is urgent at all the time, or that if you're not being productive, that that means you're being lazy, right? If you're not showing an output, that that means that you're not doing anything. I think that that is actually not true. And if you look at the creative professions in particular, you need that space in order to have things kind of come together and for like inspiration to hit. So I am also a coach. And when I coach clients, I talk about the ways that we can incrementally begin making changes that are so small, but at the end of the day, it like builds up into huge changes. There was a practice that I did of, you know, being very intentional each morning and saying like, okay, what is one thing that I can do today, almost insignificant thing that can help me challenge my assumptions around work and challenge my assumptions around ways that I make an impact. Even through that small reflective exercise, it kind of put me on a path towards shifting my mindset and making my way towards a better way of working. Not to say that I figured it out, you know, <laughs> with my supervisors, you know, my CEO and COO, they're constantly still like, okay, there's eight projects here. How can we whittle down to four? And so I think also of having accountability partners where we're all speaking the same language, where we're values aligned to help us work together toward these goals, towards this shifted mindset is also quite important in making the change. I also love this idea of teeny, almost insignificant seeming changes and watching those changes add up. So I asked Joanne, what's one of those teeny changes that really worked for you? And what she told me, well, I want to broadcast it to every single people-pleasing person I have worked with over the past few years. One of those small changes that is actually quite big is pausing. If somebody is asking you to do something Instead of doing a immediate yes, which for me, I am a very helpful person by nature and that strategy has worked very well for me in my life and I'm also a very supportive person by nature. When folks come to me with a challenge, I think I'm oriented always to be like, yes, how can I help? How can we put our heads together? I think it was just pausing before I even responded in any way that that small thing after the pause the answer might have often still been yes but it was reflecting like where am I in my energy level where am I in my workload right now what can I realistically take on just being more aware even something small like a pause has helped 
You know, I was literally talking about this in my group program the other day. What came up was that a lot of people are so accustomed to saying yes to everything and everyone that they're not even sure which things they want to be saying yes to anymore. They're not sure when their yeses are the right choice for them and when they're the wrong choice. And so what I told the group was, give yourself some grace and some space to figure that out. And I think one way to do that is just to take a moment and reflect on what you notice in your body when you're saying yes to something. Are you tensing up? Is your gut getting into knots? Because oftentimes our bodies are giving us clues about what we really want and need and what we don't want, what's violating our boundaries, even before we can articulate them. And so I love Joanne's advice to just take a pause, to just give yourself a moment. And so as she did that, and as the summer went on, things at Common Future really leveled out. Their work to prioritize things got easier. That sense of rush mellowed. And people began enjoying themselves, having more fun. Some of the other parents said they had time to take their kids to community gardens. People were saying they had time to take weekend trips to visit with family further away. And then pretty soon, summer was over. The experiment was set to come to an end. So they sent out a post-experiment survey and they waited for the results. And so during this lag time between when the experiment ended and when the results of our surveying came in, we decided to continue the four-day workweek experiment for about a month because it was going well, right? We had been doing some like focus grouping, you know, checking in with team leads. Are there red flags? Have there been disruptions in work? So we felt pretty confident this is working for us. So obviously things were going pretty well that they decided to keep it going. But then it's the fall of 2020 and the official results come in. Did the four-day week really work? Um, yeah, it did. When we got the data back, it was icing on the cake. The data was showing that folks felt more productive and impactful in their work, that people had an easier time managing their deadlines and prioritizing their work, that their feeling of work-life balance had increased, that they really felt like this organization was responding to their needs, particularly as caretakers, as community leaders in their own right. And even their health outcomes had increased where folks felt less dissatisfied with their physical health in particular. And I think that all of those reasons were why it was such an easy yes to then say, yes, this is what we want. So that's that. Common Future went to their board, got their support, and made the four-day week permanent. So now that it's become the norm, I asked Joanne, what feels the most different at Common Future today? The biggest difference in the organization right now is that we have a shared language to talk about work and that we have really leaned into the shared value and this mindset of how work happens. And so I think there are just cycles to the work that we do based on the work that's happening in communities. We don't dictate the timelines of things. And I think it's being realistic of like when there is going to be a lot of work and then being realistic about when you're kind of in the down part of the cycle, having a language around that and shared understanding of like, okay, we're now going into a really um, heavy period of work. 
how can we make sure that we are prioritizing our work? Do we have enough resources in order to be able to do this? It's almost like the pause that I spoke about earlier at an organizational level, that muscle around reflection and of like, okay, we might say yes, yes, we are going to take on this work because it's necessary because we want to make an impact in this work and in this world. And we go into it as individual team members, a bit more empowerment and a bit more dialogue before the yes happens. That level of interaction and collaboration across all levels, across all teams is one of the biggest differences that I've seen. I'm so glad she mentioned work having cycles, there being up and down periods, because When I think about the culture of overwork that exists so broadly in the U.S., one big issue I see over and over is that there's just no downtimes. There are just busy periods, just endless sprints and pushes. But what if every period of all hands on deck were actually followed by a period of truly chilling out, of reflecting and synthesizing and taking it easy? That is actual ebb and flow. But we don't see enough of that. We see all flow because work cultures are so focused on growth and speed at all costs. And so there's this feeling of going against the grain, of doing something out of the ordinary that you have to get through. And that's one of the things that still makes the four-day week hard for Common Future sometimes. We are still on a journey of a four-day work week because society at large still functions on a five-day week. And so the pressure is always there to revert or go back From an HR perspective, how do you translate all of your policies to now think about a four-day work week and then also ensure that it's in line with labor laws and employment laws and tax codes and, and just like the compliance aspect, even things like health benefits and with part-time employees, right? How does the four-day work week work for them, if at all? So those are some of the questions that we're in right now. I've also personally found this, even just like in my payroll software, I can't change the default hours to be anything other than a 40-hour week. It makes all kinds of stuff weird, like how to track PTO or how to enter sick time. And for now, it's fine because, you know, I own the company. I don't really need to track my PTO. And I have one employee and we can handle it, right? We can totally handle this. But still, it's all these subtle reminders that you're doing something weird. And so, there's lots of things that end up a little bit duct taped together, and that can be a little unwieldy. I definitely feel for a larger organization trying to make it all work. And the other thing that Joanne said they're still figuring out is, well, do they do a four-day week, or is it more important to do a 32-hour week that's not necessarily over four days? The difference being that in the four-day work week, everyone is off one day, whereas the 32 work week is more about the number of hours. We started with a four-day work week, and some folks on our team are actually finding that the 32-hour work week works better for them. And so we're trying to find, I think, the happy medium of like, how can we still preserve this feeling of being off where you're not scheduled for meetings, an actual day where the majority of our employees are being off, but also have the flexibility in order to work in this way that works for you. Another big challenge that we're trying to think about is we're an organization that still has paid time off hours. And we found that throughout the four-day work week experiment, it was hard for folks to take time off. 
I think a part of it was because of the pandemic and just people didn't really have the opportunity to travel or take time off. But we're working with our supervisors right now to train folks to kind of build this type of planning into their cycles of work so that our team members can actually feel like they can take time off, that they're not penalized or that it's not so stressful going into periods of time off and then so stressful when they come back. Okay, so there are challenges, sure. But for Joanne, there's no going back to the before because her perspective on work, it's just different now. I think before this experiment and really before common future, my ideas around work were very productivity driven. It was very much that an organization's leadership needs to be almost like a watchdog, making sure people are doing their work. And so with this experiment moving into the four-day work week for me personally it's just letting go and you know quite honestly by working at common future where we are really trying to create a different type of workplace one that is built to support the majority BIPOC leaders in our organization it's about I think being aware and integrating the external pressures that we know exist and ensuring that it's acknowledged and built into the way that we build out our policies and processes. It sounds a bit like one of the things you had to to move to is maybe less of a sense of like control Mm -hmm. and more of a sense of trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't do a four day work week without trust, you know, trust in yourself, trust in your team. And if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that nothing is for certain. There's constant change and it's the capacity to navigate that change and to be well, even as so many things around you are changing. If you had a chance to tell other leaders in organizations, people who run people functions, people who just have senior leadership capacity, who are like, oh, I'm intrigued, but, right? And then they have their list of reasons why it's impossible. What would you tell them? What advice or words of encouragement would you give? I would say that change takes a long time and change is hard. The future of work is here. It's changing. And I think as people leaders, as leaders of organizations that have a set of values that likely includes valuing your people, that a four-day work week can do a lot as a structure and as a policy to really help you and your organization live into those values around work-life balance, around flexibility, around empowering employees and being psychologically safe workplaces, right? All of those things are really necessary, are tested and developed through a four-day work week process. And even if you're not ready for a four-day work week, and you're looking for just ways to implement some of the things around prioritization, around empowering people around their own projects. It is really those incremental things and living into the values that can enable you to make big changes like the four day work week. I hope that inspires some leaders out there to give the four day week a shot. If you're thinking about it, definitely head to www.fourdayweek.com. That's the number four, dayweek.com and learn more about their pilot program. They also have this really useful white paper compiling their research on the four-day week. It's full of stats to help you get buy-in at your workplace and lots of practical recommendations for how to implement a trial. 
And if you liked hearing Joanne's story of pandemic clarity today, don't miss our next episode, all about a fight for pay equity that turns into nothing short of a reckoning. I had to accept that I wasn't going to be the breadwinner for my family. I wasn't going to be able to ever afford a house on my own. So I had to let go of the responsibility of providing for my family. I had to let myself become expensive. I also had to shift my sense of what's important to me from getting my career back and earning that money to reclaiming my time, to becoming rich in something else. That's Kate Rotundo. And you'll hear all about that something else next time on Strong Feelings. I've been deprogrammed. Till then, I'm your host, Sarah Wachter-Betcher, and Strong Feelings is a production of Active Voice. Check us out at activevoicehq.com. And then you can get all the past episodes, show notes, and a full transcript for every episode at strongfeelings.co. This episode was recorded in South Philadelphia and produced by Emily Duncan. Thank you to Joanne Lee Wagner and Common Future for making today's episode possible. And thanks to Blowdryer for use of our theme music, Deprogrammed. Go grab their album at blowdryer.bandcamp.com. If you want to chat about four-day weeks or anything else, reach out. We're at hello at activevoicehq.com. See you next time.